Hello welcome to California PC 187 The podcast, 187 is the penal code in California for homicide. In this podcast we focus on murders that have taken place in the southwestern region of Los Angeles County known as the South Bay, Harbor Area and Gateway Cities. Aside from murder other grimy and possibly trigger some topics may be discussed such as rape, animal and or child abuse, torture and other types of crimes. The hosts might sometimes use language that could be considered offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Um, so, I went over to record our introduction. Kind of. Well, you know, not kind of, but... Totally. We still have french fries left, right? Yeah, in the bag. Okay. So, we're recording, and... I just wanted to say hi and that we are going to do our episode finally. I've been really sick, like I said. I, I don't know. Like, I'm starting to wonder if I have, like, you know, the consumption or whatever people you know had, what? like, in the 1800s. You know when, like, if they started coughing and they had, like, a Remember rattly cough? cough? Yeah, but I think it's called consumption, too. Consumption? Yeah. Consumption junction. <laughs> function. I know. I'm like, am I, am I going to die? Mm, no. One day you're going to die, but not soon. Okay. So, uh, Brett and I were... At the park. Um, so, like, the other day when we were at the park, this man came walking by our vehicle, our Jeep, our Grand Jeep Cherokee Laredo. Grand. And I know, right? And he, he, he like, kind of, like, peeked in the, in the window. And it was, like, I, I was looking down because I was, like, on my phone as usual, um, doing some kind of research or doing something important, of course. And... Um, but I saw him, and I was like, wait, the, fu- the fuck? I was like, did I just see that guy stick his head in the window? And Brett was like, yeah, you know? And we're like, fucking creep, and we're talking all this shit to him. Maybe we were even podcasting. I don't know. But I know that that happened. And so then today, we're at he the park. He wanted our autograph. I know they wanted our autograph, yeah, I mean, huh? He knew, he knew who he were. He recognized us through our voice. You know, like, <laughs> I recognize the boy fucking, you know, right? Alphorn's born on the, on the radio. He's all, OMG, is this, is this, are you the guys from California PC 187? Yeah, I knew the it. The podcast? Yeah, the podcast. Yeah, I listen to you all the time, yeah. Right? I've been dying to see you. No, so, so, okay, so we're there at the park and this black man is like, you know, he's feeding the crows. BBM. Which, like, please, do not, like, what, what was, what was that, just ground kitten? Yeah, or, feeding the you know? crows. Yeah, I know, like, who does that? They all, they all ran off, they all flew Crows are, off. like, the worst, ugh. Yeah, they are. They're, like, they're, like, predators, they're, like. Yeah. I know, we're eating french fries, we're making a lot of noise, uh-huh. but. We're eating french fries, it. we're not even hungry. I know, I'm not fucked up. Yep. So, um. Obsessive. I know, we're afraid, we're afraid that we need to. Uh-huh, I'm afraid. We need to hibernate. I'm afraid they're gonna, like, they're gonna go away and I'm not gonna ever eat french fries again. Oh, you're never just going to eat again, period. Yeah, no, so no, we have to I never know what I'm going to eat. Just eat, you know, because we have starved previously. So anyway, um, so this man, like, like, and then he, like, he's slowly but surely, like, scooting on over to our vehicle. At first, he was walking straight towards us. And smiling. And, yeah, and then Brett's all, oh, he better not come over here. And he did. Yeah, but he, like, veered to, like, he, he got, like, two inches uh-huh. away from the car, the Jeep, and then he just, like, walked Bing. around it. Two inches, yeah. like he walked like kind of the perimeter of the vehicle and like two inches away from it. And we didn't say anything. At, we were just like tripping on him. You know what I mean? We're like, what the fuck? Because like, like just in life, like when I'm standing in line at a grocery store or whatever, I don't know how everybody else is, but I like to I don't to want keep, nobody in my fucking space. No, man. I don't either. I have a personal space. It's one arm's length. So I feel like, like when it comes to my vehicle, it should be one Jeep's length, you know? 
Yeah. Stay one fucking Jeep's length away from me. You know, yeah. and my vehicle. It's like the Death Star in Star Wars. You know, there's like a fucking. It's like a right. Yeah, it's a tractor beam and shit. But he looked like one of those people to me. He looked like one of those people that that crawl out from the bushes. Because uh-huh. like, okay, so this one time, Brett and I, when I very first got the Jeep, Brett and I had gotten in an argument, and right, and Brett snatched up the freaking keys from the the um, the ignition and ran and I was like give me my keys back right it was just this big drama scene that we had at that park and I swear like all like 10 people came and maybe I'm exaggerating am I came popping out of the bush and they like fucking attacked Brett and they're like they're like no you didn't you're lying nobody touched you but they came out they they were like they, they attacked him like verbally they're like, give her his, give her her keys back, you son of a bitch. I think I hit my head on the ground and act like they did it. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, Cheryl, they attacked me. No, no. He's all, oh, those are your new friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the gangsters and shit. Come here, white boy, I want to talk to you. I know, right, right. <laughs> right, all the gangsters, huh? Yeah, I was like Jesse Owens. Yeah, they're all trying to act like they ain't homeless and shit. It's like, you know, your mother doesn't want you at your house any more than my mom does, okay? Yeah, it's like a dirtbag telling a dirtbag, come here, white boy. <laughs> Oh, fuck you. Right? So, Brett, yeah, Brett did, too. He's like, I'll take all of you on. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, just give me my yeah. keys back. Let's go. Like, As this, I was running. doesn't okay. need to be like this. Yeah. You know? It was really fucked up. It was, and it was our own personal private thing. We, there was no domestic violence going on. We were just screeching. You know, I was screeching. Brett was screeching. And it, there was no, we didn't put hands on each other, except for he did take my keys, which was yeah. total fucking, like, Jeep abuse. Jeep yeah. abuse. Chrysler abuse. This is a Chrysler? Yes, it's a Chrysler. Okay, so, anyway, so it got us thinking about predators and how, like, before, when we were, when we were on foot, I didn't really understand or realize, like, the, like, how many predators there are. When we first started driving again and, you know, became mobile, like, we started, you know, going to, like, the beach or, like, the park or there are certain places that you can go during the daytime. I mean, we work, too, but, like, sometimes, you know, you need to rest or you need to take a shower or something. And so um, they have showers at the beach. And then I started noticing, and, and this includes, like, the people that work there, the workers that work at parks and beaches. Park and Parks and recreation. And they have uh, They're the predators. workers and they have uh, city workers. City workers are pretty cool. Like the I don't workers. think so. They're all praying. They're all lurking and praying. Yeah, and they, they it's are. creepy. They're on patrol. And I was like, wow. I was like, Brett, there's like, there's bad people looking for victims uh-huh. at the park. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, no shit, yep. Cheryl. Well, uh, those bathhouses used to be known for like cruising spots, you know, well, like for, for predators. Looking for victims, you well, know. Then I remember how my parents used to tell me, like, like my mom didn't want me walking through Torrance Park on my way home. Yeah. From, but I did anyway, you know. Yeah. I just didn't tell. But the first couple times I did, I ran through, like, really fast. Like, there was some boogeyman after me. And there's a creepy old man living in a van and shit. Yeah, you know what I mean? And he's, like, old and shit. Yeah, right? He's like, you want some candy? Some beard, yeah. It's, yeah. like, all some just, like, candy that's melted in his and pocket. He's got, like, a fucking, he's got, like, a fire going in a fucking barrel and shit. <laughs> roasting marshmallows on a stick. Right, right. Yep. With his, be- with his bottle, his wine in a, in a paper like bag. Fucking, uh, fucking, they're drinking like Mad Dog 50-50 in a fucking paper sack. Right. Passing it around. Okay, so the story that we are going to tell tonight comes from a couple of sources. The Daily Breeze, Los Angeles Times, and also the, uh, the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Um, Los Angeles appeal from the United States District Court for the Central District of California. 
and with George H. Wu, district judge presiding, and it's from May 18th, 2018. And we... Decided to call this story, um, the title of this episode is Innocence Matters and So Does Rick Daly. Yeah, no doubt, man. Well, let them understand what it means once we get into it. This is our introduction. I know it was kind of weird, but um, we just had to get that off our chest about predators. Yeah, they're all predators. Praying, you know, and always thinking that Brett and I are somehow prey. They think we are. I know, and it's really, and you should see how angry they get when they find out yeah. that we're not. No, we can't, they ain't have no sexy party, they can't strap us down, they can't murder us. <laughs> right. They get pissed off, man. <laughs> they do. What do you think, we're going to turn around and murder them? I you know? know, you know, well, we're not. a good podcast. No. So, yeah, we thought that maybe, like, um... Well, I mean, we put ourselves out there, we try to be nice to people, and then we find out that something's, you know, the vibe goes off, and I'm like... We don't try to be nice anymore. I said, I don't want to make any new friends, I don't want to talk to anybody, because, like, there's this woman that dances around, like, she's weird. Yeah, she's always beat up. And, right, and she she always wants to, like, um, when she doesn't think I'm in the vehicle, you know, a lot of women do this, a lot of people, like, but I think dudes do it, too, probably, like, to you, but, or not to, you know what I mean. Like, they think that if I'm not here or when I walk away, they'll come over and they'll start talking to Brett. And it's like, you know what, bitch? Like, I always say to myself, like, if that chick comes over here after I leave, then, you know, she's no good. Because any chick that doesn't want to be friends with another chick is an asshole. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. And any chick that doesn't want to be friends with me because I'm super fucking cool is an asshole. Mm -hmm. Of course. Okay. So, there. Murder! Murder, murder, murder. You got away with murder. You got away with a So there are a lot of people in the story that we are going to tell. Um, so I just wanted to give a brief like overview of the cast of characters, so to speak. They are Richard James Daly, Susan Susie Mellon, Chad Ghost Landrum, is it Landrum? Lester Wicked Monlore, and Santos. S.S. Alvarez, Santos Alvarez, June Patty, and Detective Wynn. There's also yeah. some some key. Well, Detective Wynn from the Los Angeles Police Department. And LAPD's it, it's a woman. She's her name's Detective Marcella Wynn. Black woman rising. Um, the time is July 1997, and the place is the Melon Patch in Lawndale, California. Mass Central. What the Mellon Patch is, is there was a family named the Mellons, that was their last name, and there were four boys and one girl. The girl, Susan, Susie was the youngest, and their parents owned some property in Lawndale, California, bordering on Torrance, and there were two, like, houses, two little houses on the property, one in front and one in back. And so, as the children grew older, 
They started dabbling in nefarious activities like drug dealing, etc. And so it became a hangout for a lot of thugs and hoods and just bad people in general. And so they started calling it the Melon Patch. Like, hey, you going to go to the Melon Patch tonight? Yeah, you need stuck over there. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm murdered. Um, Lawndale, California is bordered by Redondo Beach on the west. Stop doing that. Like, seriously. On the west. I mean, really, Brett. And on, do, we know, do you want to stop so you can do no. that? Okay. No. On the west and southwest, Hawthorne on the north, Torrance on the southeast, and the unincorporated area of El Camino Village, also known as Alondra Park, on the east. Lawndale is a city that sits in the middle of the South Bay <laughs> in Los Angeles. Hence the motto, hence the motto, heart of the South Bay. So it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't border on an ocean at all. It's, and it's flanked by a bunch of other cities yeah, in the middle. Yeah, their advertisement is, it's come to our city, you might, look, might smell the ocean. <laughs> right. You can almost see it. So, um, incorporated in 1959, Londo has an estimated population. This is, can, uh, in, this is taken from the 2010 census. So we're doing, what, another census? 2020. We should probably sign up and try to be workers, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, maybe we'll do Londo. Um, so the estimated population is about 33,000. 14,300 14, are Nothing white. Else. Can you stop? Okay. You weren't supposed to speak over me, remember? Okay. We keep having to record episodes over and over and over again because we end up going like way off kilter and just being confusing and arguing with each other and talking over each other. And I just want to get this done. Let's do it. Okay. Because we've been talking about it and talking about it. And I'm kind of sick of, like, I mean, you know. The melon patch. Yes, I am. So, I mean, of course, I, this is going to always be one of my all-time, like, favorite stories of, you know. Yeah. And the one that I get, I trip out on a lot, and I like to research and just, you know. But um, I don't, I'm, I'm done talking about it for a while okay. after this. Okay. So, um, okay, they're non-Hispanic whites, 14,300. 3,320 are black. 301 are Native American. 3,269 are Asian. 367 are Pacific Islander. 9,374 are other, or others, I guess. Uh, half of the population rent, so actually over half of the population rent. There's a bunch of apartment buildings and a bunch, a bunch of rental properties in Lawndale. Um, and only 11,600 people have been reported to be owner, owners of the homes that they live in. Because of its lower rental rates, Lawndale has tended to attract people who wanted to be near the beach, but could not afford to do so, so settled on an inland city that was at least near the beach. In the 80s, a Beautify Lawndale Urban Renewal Project began and was completed by 2003. A large billboard was installed that continues to run advertisements for Fox Television and generates 200000 a year for the city. Notable people from Lawndale are Fred Dreyer of the NFL, and he's an actor also. He was in that show, Hunter. And Tracy Lords, she was an actress. She is an actress, right? Porno. She was also on some on some legit films. Crybaby. Yes. Okay. Roy Rogers also um, lived there. He wasn't from there, but he lived there. Roy Rogers was he on Hee Haw? 
No, Roy Rogers had a show. It was a cowboy show. Oh, like back Tonto, in the old days? Tonto and Roy Rogers and Trigger, his horse. Like he was a comedian, kind he was of? A singing, he was a singing cowboy. Okay. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Oh, okay, okay. Tran Porter was a, uh, Tran Porter, excuse me, bass player for the Doobie Brothers. He nice. went to, he graduated from, I think, Losinger or Lawndale mm-hmm. High School. Losinger. Um, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department operates the Lenox Station in Lenox, serving Lawndale. In addition, they operate the City of Lawndale Sheriff's Department. So there's two different depart- well, they police used to be departments. Lenox, but now they have their own now. They have both. <clears throat> yeah, but Lenox used to operate it. They used to serve it. Okay. They don't know. I know that when I got arrested in 2007, I yeah Lenox. Yeah, I went to the Lenox. I got arrested in Lawndale at a hotel. Yeah. And I went to the Lenox Sheriff's Station. Yeah. They were very nice, nice men, yeah. nice people. Yes. Yes. What did they say? They said, um... Uh, we want to see your boobs. No, they didn't. <laughs> they did not say that. They didn't even make me do a strip search. Nothing. They just said, you know, this is a very nice girl who made a few bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And I said, thank you very much. That is so true. Yeah. Like, finally. Yep. Somebody sees me for what I am. Yep, exactly. Okay, so... A man named Rick Daly who hung around his ex-girlfriend Susan Mellon's house at... A duplex. That's what they call it in the court documents. They call it a duplex, even though it's two... It's not like... Because to me, a duplex is one building uh-huh. separated into two different right. apartments. But yeah. this is two separate buildings on the same property. Right. However, they still refer to it as a duplex in the court documents. Yeah. Okay. just want to make that clear. So, um, Mellon's house at a duplex her mother owned in Lawndale, California, known as the Mellon Patch. He was brutally tortured and murdered in the back house on the melon patch. His body was rolled up in a shower curtain, driven out to San Pedro, to a San Pedro alley, thrown into a dumpster, and, and set on fire. This happened on July 21st, 1997. After two weeks, police had failed to identify who the John Doe was until a series of calls to the tipster hotline identified him to be Richard Rick Daly of Redondo Beach, California. So now the only thing that we could find out, there's only one picture of Rick that appears on the internet at all, just one, and it's very difficult to find information about him. I did find out that he graduated from Redondo Union High School, that he had two children, and that he was honorably discharged from the United States Navy. Oh, that's interesting. And that when he got back, he caught up with the wrong crowd of people, and he started doing methamphetamine. Right. He started getting in trouble, and he started going to jail. Obviously. Okay. It's interesting. Small footnote. You know, my uh, Uncle Bob was a, uh, he was retired from the, well, he got out of the Navy, and he went to uh, Redondo High. He was a Seahawk. Dude. Oh, really? Yeah. So your mom, didn't your mom go to Redondo High? Mm, or did she I think go to she school? Went to Costa. In... Oh, uh, she went to school in yeah. Manhattan Beach. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I think I know, you're probably right. I know that Uncle Bob went there because he tells us about this home run he hit in that park or whatever. For sure. Uncle Bob was cool. Yeah. Um, so, um, a black female LAPD detective grew interest in the case, yeah. and she begged her superiors to let her cover it. That's an interesting footnote, too. That's That's odd. Well, see, this is the thing, too. Okay, so wait. She wanted to cover it because I think that she wanted to move up in the ranks and she wanted to get a better position. So she, I, I know that I read a quote in one of these documents, I know I did, right. where she basically said that, you know, come on, like, it's going to, this is going to be so easy to solve because tweakers, you know, the guy was a tweaker and she had found out, you know, in 
from the calls coming in sure. that he was on methamphetamine, so he was a tweaker, and that she just thought that it was just going to be so easy, right. you know. And mm. this case ended up taking her into just a whole world of hell right. and bullshit that she allowed herself to fall into, and I, that's what what I find so unbelievable. Well, I, I found it interesting too, as I did a little bit of research on it. That I think that I have a different opinion on why she did it. Okay, so let's go. On. So she was given the position of lead. Now this is what I trip on is so the murder. We know that the murder, but they didn't know this. They didn't know this until they started getting the tips and blah blah blah. But they didn't know that he died in the uh, in Lawndale. Right. They didn't know that. They didn't even know who he was. That he was transported from another city. So yes, it would be LATB, t- LAPD, but she wasn't. She didn't work for LAPD Harbor Division because no. where they found his body burning was LAPD Harbor Division territory. Right. And they should have been LAPD Harbor Division. Exactly. But it wasn't. Exactly. For some reason, she got interested in this case. Now, if it had, if it had been, if the, you know, if if it goes by the place where they died, then it would be the sheriffs, the Lawndale sheriffs. Well, yeah. Because I mean, it was in Lawndale that he died, yeah. right? Right, but I don't, I don't know how that works exactly. I don't know how Wish that works I could, exactly either. I could call Uncle Bob right now, but I can't. It's I mean, really fucking trippy to me. Like, right. I, sometimes I wonder if they just make up the rules as they go along. No, because I think also it's... this is what I wonder is he was found once again. He was found in San Pedro. So why wasn't his court case in Long Beach? Why was it in Torrance? Well, that's the whole the whole thing. That's the reason why I was, I'm curious. So if it goes, if, it if was, they're saying that it was in Torrance because he died in Lawndale then the L.A. Sheriff's Department should have been covering right. this case. The way I looked at it, the way it should have been, it should have been, sheriffs should have handled it, and it should have been in Torrance Court. Yeah, okay. Alrighty, so, Wynn could not make heads or tails of this murder and had no, absolutely no leads until she talked to, spoke to a woman named June Patty. Mm, June Patty. Okay, June Patty was a pathological liar and police informant whose story alone carried the case against... The people that would get that ended up getting prosecuted. I don't want to like. Right. And she, they, they got tried on her testimony alone. Right. They had no. So basically, they were able because they didn't find out who he was or that the melon patch even existed or that there was a murder that took place there until two weeks yeah, two after weeks. it yeah. happened. Right. By this time, the place had been scrubbed down. It had also been set on fire. And the fire got put out, but still, it had been set on fire. Yeah. Yeah. People were scrambling around getting rid of evidence. Right. There was no evidence. There was none on the per- on, on the victim's body. Right. There was none on, at the melon pad. There was right. nothing. No eyewitnesses. They had nothing. No eyewitnesses. Right. Nothing. They no. had absolutely nothing. No. Until... No ballistics, no, no gun, gunshots, no none of Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, June Patty claimed to be a court reporter from the Torrance Courthouse. That was a lie. Stenographer. Yeah. She wasn't anything. She didn't yeah. work for the Torrance yeah, Courthouse. She heard about stuff and she talked about it. Yeah. Born and raised in Torrance, Patty had... Big deep. She'd moved up to Washington. Um, she and a male companion drove down to the South Bay from Washington around the time that these murders took place. Hmm. Now, she stayed in a travel lodge... Hawthorne on Hawthorne Boulevard for like a month or something like that. So right. I'm wondering, did her family have money? Like, how was she able to get money to afford something like that? Not her sister. Plus, not to mention travel. Yeah, not her sister. You know, because she also was a methamphetamine user. Oh, yeah. She got to get meth. June Patty was a chronic methamphetamine user. Yeah. So you wouldn't think that she would have that kind of fundage to be like, right. you know, supporting road trips and nope. hotel stays, but she did. Um, so she stayed at the 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 travel lodge on Hawthorne Boulevard. It's on the Torrance uh, Lawndale border. Right. Uh, like I said, she used and abused methamphetamine, and she was obsessed with a guy named Lester Wicked Monlor, mm. and chased him around every time she came into town. 
and he was always, like, running from her. Um, between 1990 and the year 2000, her testimony alone helped prosecutors convict countless people for crimes she said that they committed. Mm -hmm. So, for some reason, she was, like, really used a lot by the LAPD, and her testimony alone convicted a lot of people, which is crazy. A little lesser, when Lester committed a murder or a drive-by, she probably just blamed somebody else. She was the the CI that went in there and said, yeah. Yeah. Probably blamed somebody else for it. Her estranged sister, Laura Patty, was a Torrance police officer who claimed that June had been had been telling lies since she could talk. Huh. The Torrance Police Department labeled June Patty an unreliable witness and refused to use her services as an informant. Yeah. Torrance it, kicks you loose. That's something. I mean, that's that, bad. Yeah, right. Because they they yeah, yeah they, they don't fuck around. No, they don't. <clears throat> Patty. Uh, okay, so apparently. Why am I saying this right now? I am going to skip that. Um, law enforcement across the nation has historically discounted, minimized, or flat-out rejected the testimonies of any person living on the fringes of society, like June Patty. Um, these thugs, drug addicts, Street workers, etc., were considered low lives who were most likely better off dead anyway, and finding out who murdered them was not law enforcement's priority. Detective Marcella Wynn knew that Rick Daly knew the wait knew the Rick Daly case was had a cast of shady characters with rap sheets bigger than Lawndale's 1.97 square miles. She knew she would be faced with liars, game players, riddlers. Just a bunch of whack-ass tweaker nonsense. Games, yes. Meaningless bullshit, yes. Yet Detective Wynn was caught up hook, line, and sinker. She was, like, caught up in the game. She was, like, part of it. It was so weird. She was ambitious. She was an ambitious woman in a male-dominated role. Not only that, she was black. No, because you had two things going against her, you know? Like, I know you laugh, but uh, women have had a very difficult time, especially a woman who makes detective and the LAPD. I mean, I admire her for that. So do I. I mean, it's not easy to make a detective, especially as a woman in the LAPD and and an African-American. That's I give her props for that, but... Well, and so she refused to let the misogynistic naysaying peers in the department stop her from achieving her goals. She made it this far to detective status, and she had something to prove to herself and to the department. She had to have a portfolio that showed dozens of solved cases, followed up by convictions. Detective Marcella Wynn did not care about the how or the why, really. Her primary purpose was to close cases no matter what. So when June Patty came to her, um, came back into the South Bay, she heard about her, her cute man, her Lester Monlore, being, um, she, she heard through the grapevine that, that people were saying that he was a part of this murder of this guy named Rick Daly. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, if there's something to, that I can do about this, then I'm going to do this. Yeah. So she became obsessed. Like around, that'll, that'll, that'll show him that I love him. Yeah, so around August 15th, she started psycho-calling um, the LAPD where Marcella Wynn worked and um, leaving messages saying you know, that she had some very interesting information about the Rick Daly case and she would like to get an ear with you know the lead detective if she could. And so it, 
Marcella, when she finally got a hold of these messages, she did even better. She invited her in to, you know, to the office or whatever you call it, the interrogation room, to ask her what her story was in person. And Miss Wynn, or Detective Wynn also recorded the, um, she recorded the session with her and June Patty. Which wasn't put in, it wasn't in court, but she her report was totally, it was totally different I'm, from Well, the, we'll get to that. Right, yeah. See how you get it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... God. <laughs> like to listen to that uh, whole uh, tape. So, on... On, um, August, in August, like I said, August 15th of 1997, June Patty came into her office and she gave a tape-recorded interview and she testified to uh, Detective Wynn that this was going to be a solved case after she was done. She said that she said that Rick Daly was a woman named Susan Mellon's ex-boyfriend. Allegedly, they had a child together. That's according to June Patty. However, Rick could not keep himself out of the slammer, and during his last stint in jail, Susan began dating a quote-unquote responsible tweaker, yeah. man named Tom, who had worked in aerospace for years and who owned his own home in an unincorporated area of Los Angeles County yeah. that lay somewhere in between Manhattan Beach and El Segundo. Tom was stable and could provide Susan with a place that was quieter, relatively drama-free, and ultimately more suitable for her elderly mom and two small children. She broke up with Daly. Huh. So, I guess the melon patch, like, in the front house of the melon patch, Susan's, one of Susan's brothers, um, Rick or Richard or, I'm not sure which brother it was. She's four of them. Yeah. Maybe Dave. Dave? Okay. Dave. So, lived in the front house with his wife and his child. Also, he had moved in Lester, Wicked Monlore. Mm -hmm. His mother, Lester's mother, and his sister and his sister's child... So there's two families living in the front house, not to mention that because they were in the game, they were drug dealers and they were like gang members and they were like all these big, bad, terrible things. Right. Um, they had a bunch of people over there all the time. They also had a lot of attention from the police. There was just a lot of drama. Now, Susie stayed in the back with her mother and her two children, and she did not want to get her children taken away from her. She didn't want to be a part of the drama. It was just it felt like it was getting too hot there for right. her to live there. And plus it was stressing her mother out. So she jumped on the opportunity when she got together with this guy, Tom, to move out to his place. Mm -hmm. You know, it was quieter and right. no drama. Right. And she didn't have to worry about, you know, the police activity or getting her children taken away. Although Tom was a drug dealer and so was Susie. Uh, sure. Susie was a known drug dealer as well. See, they get away with their murders. So she was not, no, she was no babe in the woods. No. Is what I'm saying. So upon his release from jail, Susan began hooking up with Rick, Rick Daly. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. her son, Donnie, if you go online and look, he looks just like Rick Daly. Yeah. So even though it's, quote, rumors that, because um, Susan doesn't admit that that's his son. Yeah. she got to keep it on the down low. They look pretty identical. Yeah, he's a dirtbag. He's a... The son is not a dirtbag. No, 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 I'm talking about Rick. He was just a dirtbag. Yeah, he, he's the only problem with the uh, high school diploma, and he went to the Navy, and he got honorable discharge, but he's a dirtbag. Yeah, right. Well, I think that her brother probably, there was something about his personality or his character that her brother didn't like. Right. So, um... He's probably a nice guy. Okay. So, she was fucking around with Rick Daly. This is according to June Patty. Yeah. Behind Tom's back. Her right. boyfriend. The stable boyfriend. Right. She did not want to lose the security and sense of... Sense of safety from that Tom provided, yet she still had feelings for Rick. Good old Tom. 
As long as he continued to drink and use drugs, Daly's family refused to have anything to do with him. Yeah, they're all using and drinking, but they can't do with him. No, <laughs> and I don't know about what Rick Daly's family was doing, Brad. Oh, yeah, I thought you were talking about... No, he yeah, said no, Rick no, he Daly's family... Yeah, definitely no, shunned, huh? Yeah. yeah. So he was homeless. He was wayward. Right. He had nowhere to go. Yeah, so he couldn't go home. Having just been released from county jail, Rick had nowhere to go. He yeah. was broke, homeless, and soon to be brokenhearted. Right. Susan explained to Rick that she could not be with someone who had no ambitions to do better for himself in life. She also gave him permission to enter the vacant back house on the melon patch to take showers and relax, but to keep a low profile and especially not to get caught in there by any of her brothers who never liked him anyway. All right, so he's already, he's already in the bed. Yeah, so he has to, like, you yeah. know, he has to not get caught. He has to yeah. creep around. He can't be fucking loud. He can't have visitors right. over there. Yeah. It's not like some party pad for him, you know? Right. No, he's not He's not a red. He's got to be. He's got to keep it on the DL. Yes. Yeah, they're grooming him to get murdered. So, okay, so one or more of her brothers found him, or from the front house um, of the melon patch, found him... Wait, what am I saying? Okay, even though there were children present in the home, the older Mellon brother had members from the South Sider gang, Londell 13, living and dealing drugs <laughs> and, <laughs> and committing all kinds of in, uh, nefarious acts that drew attention to police. And like I said... Um, so these people were, were the main people were Chad Ghost Landrum, mm. who's actually anyway, and Lester Wicked Monlor and Santo Santos Alvarez, which I can, I don't really think that you can consider. He was a nineteen year old boy and he was yeah. like a grandma's boy. He grew he was raised by his grandmother and right. he was very poo but he wasn't yeah. really a gang member. Yeah, he's a hardcore gang member. Yeah. yeah. No. Santos was legit a nineteen year old overgrown child who resembled cartoon character Baby Huey. He was raised by his grandma and was deep down a goofy grandma's boy who just wanted to smoke some meth yeah. for free and go home to granny's and stay up all night playing Nintendo 64, yeah, remember? He, he, didn't want to get, no, he didn't want to get involved in no, no deep, heavy shit. No. Yeah. Ghost and Wicked were legit dangerous. They were dangerous. Yeah. As scary gangsters who did not fuck around selling wolf tickets to their enemies. Ghost especially followed through with action. After his arrest... He told authorities they that he, can you stop moving around that he was relieved to have finally been stopped as he had been on an 18 month long killing spree. That's what he called it. Those were his words. 18 month long killing spree. Lester Wicked had his girlfriend, mother, and two children living amongst the chaos of the melon patch and the drama of his its patrons. He was dangerous as well. However, his main hustle was women, and for some reason, the chicks dug on him. Allegedly, so this is how the story goes. So, so what the people were saying when they were calling in the tipsters, they were saying that the three Lawndale 13 people, Chad, uh, Santos, and Wicked, so Ghost, Wicked, and Santos, had, um, were the murderers that had, had murdered Rick Daly. Okay? And so June Patty was like, oh, no, she had to get, she had to find a way to get, you know, Wicked yeah, out of this. Yeah, so... She told um, Detective Mellon or Detective Wynn that, um, al that allegedly Susan Mellon's brother caught Daly in the back house of the Mellon Patch and chased him off and 
threatened to break his legs if he ever caught Daly on his property again. He was not welcome. When told by her angry brother of the confrontation with Daly, Susan denied even knowing he was out of jail. She lied, lied, lied. I didn't know he was here. She feigned disgust of this ex who had the audacity to trespass on her mother's property. He's creepy. He's fucking stalking me. Then all of a sudden, everybody starts talking about missing things. I think he's been stealing from my mother, she said. That's right. And then, then her, probably did it all. Then her brother's like, oh, yeah, well, I, I have some tools missing from yeah. the garage. Yeah, and then some guy named Scott, he's like, you know what? My dad's been missing tools, and Rick was over there. Yeah. And just everyone is all of a sudden, all these tweakers talking about how this guy's a thief, when yeah. that's pretty much, you know, what tweakers are. They're yeah. liars and thieves. They got like a fucking pond. They can just put it all off on him. Right. Clean up their own business right then and there. So Susie promised to her brother that she had nothing to do with Daly, but that she would get down to the bottom of it and get him to stay the fuck out of the house. Yep. She sure did. When Susan did see Daly again, they had sex, and she told him that he, if he did not keep a low profile, that he was going to get fucking in trouble, you know? So uh, Susan's brother had threatened to expose Rick Daly release and Susan's contact with him to her new boyfriend Tom and Susan did not want that because she did not want to lose her boyfriend no. so Susan had always been and Susan's family had always been drug known drug dealers well, I don't know about always but you know since they were at least in junior high school and she sold high volumes of meth she was like kind of big time right yeah she did not want the kind of negative attention Neither her brother or, or Daly always seemed to attract because Daly was always getting arrested. He was always getting picked up by the cops. He was always in trouble. She didn't want to fuck around with that. She had two children. Right. You know, and she was the best mother that she possibly could be. And she, you know, went to sleep at night, woke up in the day. Uh, you know what I, no, you know what I mean? Like, right. she was taking care of her mother. So she just didn't want to fucking get into trouble. Right. Um, she was a good person. Good tweaker. She, I know. She was the good tweaker. Yeah. Um, she just wanted to ensure that she wasn't going to get in trouble. And that her kids wouldn't get caught up in the system. The more her brother and his cronies reported daily sightings to her, the angrier she got. Like she feel now she's feeling like she's being disrespected. Like this motherfucker. Like I'm telling, like I'm leaving the back door unlocked. I'm letting him go into this, you know, into right. the back house, and, and he blast. can't even fucking like he can't even and keep a low stealthy. profile. Yeah. Like yeah. what if? Uh, you know what I mean? Like she got really angry with him. He's not slick at all. So according to June Patty, she basically set him up to come over to the house and don't keep your mouth shut. She sent him up to coming over to the house and that, um, that Tom, her boyfriend and Chad ghost Lundrum and the other guy, I think, I don't think she mentioned the other guy. She didn't even mention Santos at all. Um, that the two of them and Susan attacked him, that Tom and Chad started beating him in the head about beating him about the head with a hammer and that um, Susan grabbed a, a handkerchief that was around his neck, around around Rick Daly's neck, because uh, he started screaming, shoved it in his mouth, and then put duct tape over his mouth to keep him shut because he was too loud, you know, and I guess the next... Super glued. Then no, 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 that was later. Oh, yeah, okay. That okay. Was so I'm telling you, like... Right. Okay. okay. So um, this was the story, the very first story oh, yeah, that June first, yeah. Patty told. That she told me. Yeah. Okay, so then she said that... Um, then she said that they called some guy named um, Scott. Scott came over immediately. Scott was like the kind of person that like he never really had money or drugs of, of his own. 
but so he would he would be willing to give rides because he did have a car or do service. anything and he didn't really care about the circumstances so he came he saw that there was a body to be put in the um in the back or the trunk of his car and he's like all right you know and so supposedly it was he didn't go for the ride that was chad and Susie, according to um to what's her name to june, june patty that drove rick's body out to san pedro in the alley on 22nd street and right. set him on fire right so just from hearing this like you know detective Wen was like oh very interesting yeah those shower curtains are really climbable very very interesting so she had a warrant she like went and i guess you have to petition to the court or something like that in order to get a warrant out for people's arrest right so she had a warrant put out for chad she still had a an, uh, even though um june patty swore that that uh lester had nothing to do with it right. she had a warrant put out for his arrest right. and santos's arrest and Susie mellon's arrest right. so the three men got arrested on the you know all on the same day at different times not together there was a, a warrant out at, at the melon patch and that's when the police noticed that it had been set the back house had been set on fire right. i think that's where they picked up chad at so they got she got other information about the the, the chad through somebody else, not through June. Uh, not through June. No, she had gotten it through other people right. as well. Right. She had gotten okay. The story that all the little, the other little tipsters were calling in about, they were saying it was Lawndale thirteen members. It was oh, okay, Chad, yeah, yeah. Santos, and Wicked. So she's getting a lot of calls on on the. Uh, the yes. The so then calls, when yeah. June Patty, you know, basically followed up with her story, she combined all the stories together because. Pat June said that it had nothing, that Lester was not even there. He had right. nothing to do with right. it. And she wasn't even there. No, she wasn't there either, but right. she said, okay, so she said that, that one night. That, she was there, but she wasn't there when the murder happened. She, well, she said that one night, well, she, like maybe a week after the murders had happened, that she was, you know, at her hotel in, at the Travelodge, and that she had called Susie to buy some dope. Susie came over, and that Susie just started, like, self-disclosing, like, just you know, off the bat, like, all these details about the murder and how she right. was involved in it, her part, that she had shoved the the um, the, the handkerchief down his throat, right. and that she was worried she was going to get arrested oh, for yeah. it. yeah, she wanted to get that off her shoulder. She wanted to get that off her conscience, yeah. She was gonna, well, no, are, because because June Patty happens. was telling everybody that she was a court reporter. Right. Um, she also, like, she, 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 she made it out like that equal that she was a lawyer, too, or that she oh, knew, yeah, like, stuff. Yeah. So people are always asking her for legal advice. Right. You know, it's just like when I worked at the animal hospital, like, even though I was just the kennel attendant, right. people would always want to call me up and ask me about, like, you know, as if though I were a vet, you know, ask right. me how to treat their animal. And it's like, well, you work there and you know you have the experience. No, but you can ask people, but right. like, that's free advice, you know what I mean? Well, whatever. I mean, of course, I want to help an animal at any right. time, no matter what, but I'm, but I am not the knowledgeable one, you right. know what I mean? Like, I'll find out and we can learn together, but I don't know. Right. So, but people were treating June Patty in the same way. Like, she was the lawyer. Like, she... And they were was, just telling a freaking confidential informant, the juice, the dirt. Pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty... That's how she got her information, probably. Well, so she said that, um... That, uh... That... Susan Mellon had told her that... That she... That she did this and that, um... Or that she, you know, she was a part of it. And then she's, I think Susan, she said that Susan's the one that told her that, that he, um, that she drove to, to burn the body. Yeah. See, cause you know what I trip on too though, is that this guy, Scott, Scott, first of all, Ta Tom, who was accused, never got arrested. Nope. Never got questioned. Nope. Her boyfriend who was accused by, by June. Um, and the guy, Scott, whose vehicle that they used. Yeah. 
to me, he's an accessory after the fact. Right. Never got prosecuted, never right. got brought up, never got nope. arrested for it, nothing. So I, I find that very odd. Yeah. No, um, follow, no follow through on any of these people. Mm-hmm. Right. It seems like there's a detective winner wanted to keep all these. She, she wanted to keep it all to herself. She didn't really put out a whole lot of, she didn't have like a whole team of detectives helping her, you know? Yeah, and so June also told Detective Wynn that Susie was supposed to, Susie had asked uh, Ghost to, because everybody knew that he was on this 18-month, well, they didn't, I'm sure they didn't know it was 18 months long, but they knew that he was on a killing spree. They knew yeah. that he was just killing people left and right, and that he was crazy for whatever reason. Yeah. He was off the fucking hook. Right. And he even scared himself. He was even like, oh my, like what? Yeah, and I think that they, I think that a lot of times people would know that about him and, and they'd pump him up, right. get it, like give him some meth. Cause he was promised a quarter ounce of dope if he helped just beat, beat, beat Rick up. Daly up. Yeah. Um, which a quarter ounce at that time was a lot and yeah, it was expensive. It was probably like $300. Yeah, and it was good dope. Yeah. So. I heard. Yeah. So they were supposed to just give him a warning, you know? Yeah. Dave should have just broke his legs, man. I feel like yeah. Dave probably had a part of it, too, but oh, he yeah, never he never got questioned either. Yeah, no, and he's, he was a pussy, you know? He's telling her you know, he's going to stick up for his sister, but then he goes along with, you know, this supposed hitman guy, crazy nut oh, he had from Rondell 13. You know, well, we'll give him some dope. He'll do it for us, you know? He can just handle his own shit. It's, it's his property, you know? He's like the man of the house. Right. I don't know why he didn't step he's in. He's the it, one but, threatening so much. Yeah, he's the one threatening. And, and you know what? It, it's like he, he it seems like just a pussy, and when I met him, well... Anyways, yeah. No, I want you to tell. So Brett, Brett had an opportunity to meet this person, this person in jail, and it was right after this stuff happened. And what did he say to you? Well, he just said you heard about the melon patch, haven't you? And I said, no, not really. I mean, I heard about the, the, the melons and stuff, but I didn't know about it. your house was famous. And he says, yeah, there's a, we murder people there. I was like, oh yeah, and it's in a prison, and people all they do is sit around and talk stories, whatever. And I didn't think nothing of it, but he told me this story about how his sister and some other girl set this Rick Daly up. And uh, he was stealing and stuff like that, and they set him up to, you know, give him uh, flatio. And as he was giving flatio, they came up behind him, hit him in the head with a hammer, uh, knocked his teeth out, cut his fingers off, uh, you know, duct taped him, rolled him up in a carpet, was what I was told. And they should transport him to San Peter, where they set him on fire in an alley. And then that's what happens. That's what happens to people that steal from the melon patch or the melons or whatever. That's their big family. And I just figured it was, you know, these, you know, this like biker family or. Aaron brother and family, you know, they're just tight, whatever. I thought they were serious business, but when I really looked at this, the, the house, the area, that they, they're just a bunch of tweakers that, you know, just got spun out and they just killed the innocent guy that shouldn't have been killed. It was brutal murder. And, and, and it's kind of matched up. And so I got out and I told Cheryl the story about how it, the word was, if you fuck around in Lawndale, you know, it happens daily. Rick, you get killed. That was what the, the thing was. Daily it happens, you know. I know, Brett kept saying that to me, and he was freaking me out. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know it happens daily, don't you? And I was like, what? Yeah. yeah what? Well, because I guess that, that um, this guy, Dave, used to tease Brett in jail like that. Right, like like he would put the, you know, he would just try to you know, do the old Jedi mind trick, you know. And it, it worked, too, actually. It did work. It was pretty right. scary. It was scary, because I, I mean, I can just picture myself, I've, I've been to some shady places, and I can picture myself in that feeling where, you, you know, something's going to happen. And it could happen, you know. And I, I just, it, it's just, it's really sad how that happened. And anytime, anytime after that, I was thinking, I'm not going to get flagia from no girl. Screw that, you know. I'm going to look behind me, and someone's going to come behind me with a hammer. It's just in my head, but whatever. Uh, okay, so what happened was, is they, you know, they get arrested, and then um, there's, it's on YouTube. You can watch the video. Detective Wynn just goes at Susie. Like, she, Susie gets arrested last, and she get, she got arrested in 
Huh. The McDonald's parking lot. She took her daughter there. Her daughter was seven years old. She took her there to go get a Happy Meal. And next thing you know, she is surrounded by a grip of men, SWAT team, everything with with rifles and guns pointed at her, telling her to get on the ground, you know, put her face on the ground. And um, they arrested her. They took her in. Detective Wynn questioned her. But Detective Quinn really never, Wynn really never gave her an opportunity. The interrogations, it's kind of awkward. It's uncomfortable because she doesn't give her an opportunity to say anything, really. And then she's just convinced already that she's guilty. Right. And so she gets booked for, you know, capital murder. Her and Chad and Lester, actually, he got, he got booked, too. Now, Chad, he admitted it. He admitted it. He's like he like he said. Um, he's also on a YouTube video where he's confessing to another murder that somebody had gotten wrongly accused of via Detective Wynn, and he's de- he's testifying on you know behalf of the guy who was wrongly convicted, saying I did this. He said I'm terminal. I don't really have anything to lose, so I'm going to tell the truth. You know what I mean? And I did this murder. He explained exactly details, right. and so the guy got out of prison, so which was great. Right. But um. I think even, even there's a part where he said that, you know, she really she doesn't deserve to be in prison. That was Santos that said that. Was it? Oh, okay. Okay, so... It wasn't, it wasn't wicked? No. Oh, okay. So Lester got completely off. He was acquitted. He just, you know, they, they because, there, because like I said, there was no evidence, you know, and um, June Patty wasn't testifying against Lester. There really wasn't any, any evidence. None. So she wasn't testifying against Lester at all. It was just like word of like like gossip and word of mouth and like what people thought happened and you know tweakers calling in and I can't see. Uh, um, I said you sit by we'll sit by the phone all day long. Huh? Right. So it, it turns out that June Patty became the prosecution's star witness. Star. Now Susan Mellon was already at a disadvantage because you know her family didn't have you know a lot of money, so a family friend who was her divorce divorce lawyer. I guess, and he was an elderly man who was just a little, he, um, he wasn't with the times, and he, he was uh, maybe a little bit dementia. I don't, I'm not sure exactly, but he was a divorce lawyer. He uh-huh. ended up being her lawyer for this murder trial. And so there was all, kind of, all kinds of goof-ups and all kinds of flubs. Yeah, that's that he, scary. That is scary. Yeah, a divorce lawyer for a fucking murder trial? And what's even scarier, though, is that June Patty was the star witness. Because while June Patty was living in Washington State, she, as soon as she moved into the town, she started her shenanigans. She starts, you know, mingling and getting to know all the people and up to, up to no good like she always was. And she called the, the sheriff's department there in Washington, reported that she called them one time 800 times in one year. Uh-huh. And that she was always calling and telling on people. And it was usually people that she herself had defrauded or she herself had committed some kind of crime against. Oh, and before, Yes, and before they had an opportunity to tell on her, she would call reporting yeah. something that they had done. Put the heat on them. Yes. Yeah. And so the, the... The old Cincinnati shuffle. So the public defender's office ended up having a file that they kept, you know, called the June Patty file. Huh. And um, what it was is that any 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 case, anything that, that had that her name came up in it, they just would automatically discredit it. Yeah, non non reliable. So it's so interesting how the how the the sheriff's department how they caught on so quickly and they saw through June Patty like scotch tape up there in Washington. Yet for some reason she's down here in you know L.A. County in the Torrance Court being the star witness in a murder trial. You know when when her word is not to be relied upon. Um, so we'll just go with that. So when she got to court, she completely changed her story and she said the story like that Brett just told about how what actually happened was that Susan Mellon was 
you know, giving head to, um, to Rick Daly and that Tom had come in, her boyfriend, Tom, the stable guy had come in and caught them. And then he enlisted the help of ghost and then they attacked him and, uh, they attacked him, beat him over the head with a hammer, and then he started screaming. Susie put the handkerchief in his mouth, uh, super glued his mouth shut, duct taped it shut, also super glued his eyes shut, supposedly. And anyways, basically, they beat him so badly, and he suffocated. He ended up dying from asphyxiation from the um, the, the, the handkerchief being put in his mouth. And um, he was dead when they enlisted the ride from the Sky Scott. You know, but then, then she turns around, uh, this June Patty person, and says that she, um, that it was Susan Mellon's car that they went in. Uh, or then she said that they, that they drove someone's BMW. She just, her, she never keeps her story straight. And it's so weird that she's the fucking, that she was the star yeah, witness. She was the one that slam dunked. Right. Case, yeah. So when she, um, when she was called out on it by the, defense, I think, um, about why she, why her story changed. They said, um, this, this is from the court document. Uh. They said, did you indicate anything about the motivation behind the killing Tom walking in on this sexual act? And her answer was, did I tell anybody about that before? Absolutely not. It was something she, oh, it was something she told me in private. The prosecutor later asked her, why today are you telling us this additional information regarding motive, regarding the additional activity? Because since I have been here for the last two days, I heard that Susan Mellon has had people come and try to lie against my character. And one of her brothers, which I don't know, said he killed a dog of mine. That is the law. If she is going to lie against me, I am going to tell the truth of what Uh she said. The prosecutor also asked Patty about the superglue, another fact that Patty had previously not disclosed. You had indicated, was there any changes in your testimony regarding the movement of the body or the movement of Rick Daly to San Pedro? No. Now, you had indicated something about the superglue on the mouth? Yes. Was she, did she do that or did Chad Landrum do that? Or did they both do it together? She did that. After this questioning, Mellon's counsel cross-examined June Patty. No, Trika, that was... uh, the defense lawyer with his last name was Notrika. Yeah. He pointed out that Patty's testimony was inconsistent with her testimony at the preliminary hearings and also in the interview, the taped right. interview. It was, I think he was trying to get discredited or get her thrown out, thrown out of the, uh, yeah. the case off the court. So Notrika asked her, you've gone out of your way to embellish your testimony, haven't you? And Patty's answer was, no, I have not. Well, you were under oath when you testified on November of 1997, weren't you? I told the truth. I just didn't tell the complete truth. You hid some facts from Ms. Mellon as well as her counsel. No, I hid the facts from the police that Ms. Mellon had told me because I didn't want to crucify her. Ms. Patty, you said that Susan and Rick Daly were engaged in a sex act in their house when Tom walked in. That is what she told me. You never testified to that before, though. I didn't want people to know she was a cocksucker. <laughs> no, I did not. It was a private conversation between her and I. Notrika also pointed out that Patty had not told the police the fact about the superglue. On cross-examination, the defense asked, Are we getting the whole truth today? 
And Patty answered, Probably not, because I don't want to crucify her. I told you what you need to know. So I can't even believe that they... Anyway. I can't believe she's talking like that in the court. I know, right? Her. So why didn't she tell the truth? Well... Because she don't know the truth. She said, I was trying to, but I felt sorry for Susan. Yeah. And she, yeah, and she I said want that people think she's a cocksucker. She didn't, and she didn't want. Yeah, she didn't want him to think she was a cocksucker. And she didn't want her to get arrested for homicide until her brother killed Susan Mellon's brother killed yeah, her dog. Yeah. Then she's like, "Oh fuck no, yeah. all bets are off." Yeah. You know, now I gotta tell the. Well, truth. he's a real fucking. He's a real solid guy. Instead of fucking hurting Rick, like he just killed the dog. Oh, well, who knows if he really did that? Though yeah, she's yeah. lying about yeah, that too. Yeah, she probably is. <clears throat> so on June fifth, nineteen ninety-eight, Susan Mellon like we said, based on June Patty's testimony alone, was convicted of capital murder, and she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. That's and crazy. That's impossible. There's no way. No way. No, it's true. And I can't believe it's possible in Los Angeles. Right. And I can't believe... And so this is what it turns out, too, is that um, fast forward, before Susan Mellon got in... Before the Innocence Project got in touch with Susan Mellon and they started the process of getting her out of jail and proving her innocence... During this time, um, Patty, June Patty and Detective Wynn continued to work together. And then it turns out that Detective Wynn's ex-husband was dating some tweaker chick. What? Yes. Uh. That, um, that June, the, 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 the chick says that she doesn't even know June Patty. She never met her and nothing. Right. But June Patty called Detective Wynn. Now, June, remember, Detective Wynn's ex-husband right. was dating this chick, Michelle, the tweaker chick. Okay. Uh-huh. And June Patty called up Detective Wynn in like 2001, something like that, right. and said, hey, you know, there's this chick, Michelle, and she has been calling me and threatening me and saying that she's going to fucking kill me and beat my ass and like burn all my, my dogs alive if I, you know, base, because she's angry about my testimony against Susie Mellon. And, she, you know, so... What should I do? And so Detective Wynn was like, oh. So they went and arrest this woman. Oh. And she went to prison for, like, what do you call it, terrorist threats? Right, and right, for right. Can you believe that what? shit? So the story is getting deep. Yeah. So so it's like, it's, was Detective, Detective Wynn, Wynn, I want to know, was she on drugs? Had like, how would, how would her ex... involved in it because her ex-husband was dating... Oh, but maybe she knew, her and June Patty knew each other better than they pretended to. Maybe. Because why would she just... How coincidental is that? Yeah, it was real coincidental. That's why I said at the beginning, um, I think that her motivation for taking this case was a lot more uh, to it than what she led on to. You know, I don't think she was just a baby in the woods either. Detective Wynn. Right. Yeah. And she had knowledge of streets and stuff like that. I, I mean, she shouldn't, I don't think she should have been having that case. I think it should have been a sheriff's. And it was in Torrance. Absolutely. Yeah, so. and weird. So, weird. nearly two decades later, Mellon's case came to the attention of Innocence Matters, a nonprofit legal organization whose mission is to secure habeas relief for people with valid innocence claims. As part of its investigation, Innocence Matters spoke with Laura Patty. That was, that's a Torrance police officer's sister. Um who told him that she had spoken with Detective Wynn in advance of Mellon's trial and had then shared her belief that her sister was not to be trusted. Laura also admitted that she had never been present for one of her sister's lies to law enforcement and had no personal information about whether her sister lied as part of the daily murder investigation. What are you doing? Brett, are you really playing video games no, in the middle no. of this podcast? I was just powering it up. Sorry. I was just seeing the power. 
and she offered her own belief that Detective Wynn reasonably relied on June Patty's statements because she remembered Detective Wynn had told her that her sister offered details about the murder that were not publicly available. After Innocence Matters contacted her, Laura called Detective Wynn to let her know that she had been contacted as part of Mellon's habeas proceedings. In addition to speaking with Laura Patty, Innocence Matters contacted numerous others close to the investigation, including Ghost, Chad Lundrum, yeah. and Santo Alvarez, yeah. who confessed to the murder and said that Mellon had nothing to do with it. Chad confessed to the murder. Santos did not. Right. Okay, so what Santos, for his part, there is, um, you can see this on YouTube too, there is a, a, a taped interview with... Um, no, no, or, what, did, what did they... Or Chad. No, when he's... No, he's in the... Uh, Police, he's in the fucking LAPD or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. He's being questioned by a detective who gives him a right. lie detector right. test. That's, and, oh, that's right, that's yes. right, yeah. And what he said was that he was there and that it didn't even, there was no, there was no sex acts going on. Yeah. That they were, that he just came over to smoke some dope. Right. You know, for free. And they were all just hanging around. He thought that they were all just hanging around. Right. That this guy, Rick Daly, had a beer and that he just thought they were going to hang out. Oh, yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah. And he was standing in the doorway of, I guess, the restroom. Right. Like, there's like a little living room and then right. there was a restroom. He was standing in the doorway of the restroom and he was just kind of waiting, you know, drinking a beer and just kind of right. waiting to like get the pipe passed to him. And he said that all of a sudden, out of the blue, that Chad Lundrum came up from behind Rick and just started bashing him in the head with a, a hammer. Right. He said that he was scared shitless, that he literally pissed this his pants. And he said that, that, that Ghost and Wicked start beating this dude with an inch of his life. Right. And he said that Susie had nothing to do with it. And he said that um, that he was just, he just wanted to go home. He's yeah, like, he's fuck, out, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I didn't sign up for this, yeah. you know? And that, that, that Wicked said, you know, you better fucking get your hands dirty, yeah. you know? And so he was afraid. So they said, you know, grab the fucking shower curtain. So he grabbed yeah. the shower curtain and helped them roll up his dead body, Rick <laughs> Daly's dead body Quickly. in the shower curtain. Yeah. He said he couldn't fucking wait to leave and get home. Yeah. So, and then after that, look at, after that, he got clean for like 15 years. Yeah, he was clean. He had like yeah. seven kids. Just get him straight. Absolutely. He was working. Yeah. And then he ended up relapsing. And this is the part that I think is a little bit fucked up is that when Susan was in prison, she was in prison with like a childhood friend or something like that who got out, who ended up getting released. And this woman was a drug dealer. She sought out Santo and she, you know, he'd been clean, like I said, for 15 years and she bumped into him, gave him some meth. And then got him hooked again. And then she put letters of letters written to her from Susie on her dining room table. Like she would invite him over on her coffee table. And then um, he he finally he like he saw one by chance one uh. time. And then it opened up this whole conversation about what really happened. And so through that she called the police and she was able to get that you know taped interview where he gets a lie detector test and tells his part. Oh, of the she story. Had, she put the letters. She just displayed them on the table. Yeah, so that he would he, he saw. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's like, oh, I know Susie yeah. Mellon. Oh, wow. yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that was kind of right. dirty. That's pretty gets, dirty. After he gets high. Yeah. All, yeah, that was, I mean, that was that just, is dirty. to get somebody high that hasn't been high in a long time. Right. And, uh, it's clean. Yeah. That's dirty. That's pretty dirty. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, so thickens. So, Detective Wynn got held up, uh, she got sued by Susie, and she got held up for, you know, and held accountable for um, suppressing evidence that right. could have, Basically, June Patty should never have testified in that trial. No, 
She had no right to defend. She the, actually had no right to defend. And ultimately, for, uh, for all intents and purposes, if you think about it, they had so much of nothing that even though Chad had confessed to the murder, they really had nothing no. on even him. Yeah. And so they should have let Susie go. From They should have let her go that day. So they basically... They, they, they basically uh, held somebody hostage. They, they, they arrested her. They kept her. She wasn't even a person of interest. They already knew that they were going like, to they were gonna put slam it to her. Yes. That she, she was part of the murder, but she really... I mean... Yeah, I guess you're right. She stuffed the uh, rag down her throat. She orchestrated it. Um, she drove the car. You know, that, that that would be part of the murder, you know, if she did that. But I don't know. Even if she did do that, I don't think that she should have been convicted of murder and got 25 years of life. Right. Even though I'm, I'm... I still question, like, you know, her knowledge and... Right. And her responsibility a little bit. I, I still believe that they had absolutely nothing. And that's the thing, is that, like, look at how they let... OJ go because the evidence just wasn't there. Right. You know, like they have to have evidence just right. to even bring somebody up. Even though he looked guilty, they still, the law is the law. And they yes. Have to, they have to look at the evidence. And the, and the only thing that the jury has to do is to see what the, what really is the evidence, the facts. And that was enough to get them to have a shadow of doubt for OJ. I don't know why Cindy didn't get that. And it was it because she was like a marginalized person because she was like um, a drug dealer or because she hung out with with methamphetamine users or people that weren't considered as important in society that they were able to just slam dunk all these people because as it turns out that girl Michelle that I was talking about after Susie got because Susie did get exonerated she got released after seventeen years seventeen years she and also seems like first she was just real docile she wasn't really she didn't really stick up for herself she didn't really stick up for no, herself she was just like she did taking it I know. know she was and why because yeah. she was because detective win in the in the interrogation video up, is being be obviously quiet. abusive. Yeah, yeah. Like, she was really aggressive with her in the interrogation, yeah. and it just really took. A, I mean, she was going to McDonald's to get her kid a, a happy meal, and she said she sort of held onto that for seventeen years, and she was just waiting to get her daughter a happy meal. Yeah, she she yeah. So she has been released, yeah. and she was released in June of two thousand fourteen. She did go buy her daughter a happy meal. She also sued, um, like the Torrance Court and the the uh, Detective Win. And I think the LAPD. Right. Anyway, she got a $12 million settlement. Yeah, she's getting paid. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, she did get a hundred something, hundred something thousand dollars for every day. They gave her something for the, something. all those, those years. But it's a really small amount. The state, the California Department of Corrections, if you get released, they give you something. I don't know how much it is a day. Well, because that whole thing was just basically like a railroad. It was like, just, yeah. I mean, because if you really stop and look at it, there's nothing there. Like, how did this happen? Right. How did a jury convict her? How right. did, like, it even get to trial to begin with? Right. How did the how did the public defend or the the, dis, the district attorney even think that it was okay to take this on? And then she was even I mean, said, uh, the second win in the uh, hallway at the at the uh, courthouse, she ran into the, uh, the uh, June Patty's sister, who was a Torrance PD. Uh, she was there on other business, and she had said to her um, that she didn't put in the records. That you know, don't don't listen to her. She's a liar. You know, her testimony is going to be and and she, she didn't even use that. Like she didn't uh, report that to the, uh, the 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 defense uh, attorneys. She, she didn't write down in the reports, and that was kind of kind of kind of dirty of when to do that. Right. You know, get, being told by a law officer that you can't, you don't. Why are you believing her? She's she's a liar. Yeah. A known confidential liar. So. Yeah, especially when you're supposed to believe your brethren. Right. Like, yeah, I don't understand that. You know, You're, LAPD, uh, Torrance PD, you know. I, maybe they didn't, she didn't like Torrance PD. No, look at the... I know, right? Maybe she had a... She had a yeah, um, seems people, like she did have a grudge. Or right, she had a chip a lot on of her people shoulder. have drugs against Torrance PD because they're, they're like an agency within themselves. They're elite. They are elite, and they they act like they're elite. Because they are. They do. Yeah. They really do. And um, so, like, in 2001, June Patty, she was on an, an episode of Sally Jesse Raphael. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like, you better <laughs> marry me or I'm going to leave you. Yeah. 
and she confronted her, her boyfriend of like 15 years, um, and she said, if you don't marry me, I'm out of here. So he said, I, I'm not going to marry you. Me. So she walked. Yeah. And the audience cheered. Yay. Yeah, yay. She's out of calling the next day. In 2005, he got hit by a car and died. Wow. And in 2006, she was in a crack house, smoking crack, stayed. and she died from a collapsed lung. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. She was smoking crack. Yeah. So yeah. she yeah. is... June Patty. She's gone. One of Torrance Court's uh, finest. Right? Yeah. Um, so... So now all these cases that June Patty used to testify against or use the information, they should go back and they should uh, get a tracker ticket or a mesamine or even a felony. They should, they should overturn all those. That was what I was going to say was that the girl, Michelle, she was able to go back and get hers exonerated as well. Yeah, I might. I think I'm going to go back and do something. Oh, yeah, yeah right. Like yeah, she testified yeah, against yeah, you. Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> Daily. So anyway, that's the story. And this is why we call it Innocence Matters, but so and so does Rick Daly because... I think it's really sad that there's only one picture of him. And, you know, I'm really happy for Susie Mellon. I'm glad that she got found factually innocent and that she has been released, you know, because the evidence was not there. Right. However, it would be nice if somebody talked about Rick a little bit. Right. Maybe she should spend a little bit of that time and money on helping find or just having something like a memorial or, or some kind of uh, information about his family, his childhood, uh, his, his, his Navy career. You know, he was a veteran of the United States of America and basically... I, I just I don't think he get enough credit, and he got brutally murdered just because he was a, a sick person that had a drug addiction. And he didn't deserve to get murdered, and uh, I do have that, that guy Wickard. I kind of I kind of I get what you're saying. I kind of have respect for him a little bit because he kind of stepped up and tried to tell the truth. No, 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 that was Ghost. Oh, Ghost. Okay, Ghost. I'm sorry. He did. What was it, Lester? Is that his name? His last name is no, no, no. That's that's Wicked. Oh, okay. I get Chad it. Ghost Landrum. Okay. And he Chad, he's actually right. a very Chad. like prolific writer. He's for. Um, it's different than Spencer Bashar in that he's not for, like, trying to get out of jail. He doesn't no. ever want to get out of jail. No. He's trying to make the best of what he's got going on. And he writes for the advocacy of other prisoners. He, right. he writes actually really well. And I'm, like, thinking, wow, was this guy just a normal dude that just fucking started doing drugs and became yeah, crazy? Yeah, because he was in a Hispanic gang, but he was white. Yeah, he's pretty white. Yeah, he was a white dude. Um, he grew up in, a new, I guess, Mexican neighborhood. I don't know. Londe was kind of, I don't know if it was Mexican or not. It just it seemed like there's a lot of whites there. It used to be. I don't know. Uh, okay, well, so I don't really care what anybody personally, you know, thought about Rick Daly. It, he was a person. He got murdered. And I would like to know and hear more about him. I think that he's he's been besides the point. He's been an after fact. Right. After it's all the been fact. drama, lies, cutthroat, dirty cops, you know, uh, relationships, love triangles. And nothing was said about Rick Daly, man. They used his name and they said he was a transient. Oh yeah, that's what they call yeah, him in all these newspaper articles. Me. He's a fucking Navy veteran, man. Went to be down. He's a Seahawk. He went to he graduated from high school. Half of them dudes probably didn't even graduate from high school. Bunch of dirtbags pointing a finger at an innocent guy, and he got killed. See, but in naming him and in calling him a transient constantly, it's like they're they're demeaning they're him. Can you not talk? Yeah. They're demeaning him and they're putting him at a lower level to where like he doesn't matter. And you know what? He does matter. Innocence matters, and so does Rick Daly. Maybe it does. And then daily, he should be recognized as a, a person that uh, lost his life in a, I don't know, in a battle on the streets, I guess, in Mondale. <laughs> okay, so thank you, and this is already longer than I wanted it to be. Uh...
Okay, so we got cut off abruptly. Sorry about that. Email at CaliforniaPC187 at gmail.com or at AOL.com. We have a website. It's um, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash CaliforniaPC187.site.live. Um, and give us a review. And let us know what's happening. Give us an honest review of what you think so we can either make it better or we're always looking to strive to make things better. Yes, we're, we're hopefully we're getting better and we're not talking over each other so much and we're sounding a little bit more cohesive. I don't know. I'm not talking over you or putting my little comments in and you're not correcting me. <laughs> we're certainly dedicated to this podcast. We love doing it. We're having fun. We're not doing it for any other reason except that we enjoy it and... If nobody listens to it, that's fine. If one person listens to it, that's great. And thank you very much. <laughs> Constructive criticism is open. Okay, so what is it? It's don't let the sunshine fool you. Thank you, and bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye. <laughs>